Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast goes by Eric the Gentleman on Instagram. His name is Eric Yusick, and he is a former pro MMA fighter, judo black belt, jiu-jitsu black belt, and has gone from battling addiction on Long Island to being named one of the coaches of the year for a Puka Top Team and has just overcome tons of obstacles and adversity from addiction to depression to all kinds of different things and figured out a way to be emotional, intelligent, keep himself accountable, be a, a thriving business owner, and really just be the best version of himself when the odds really were not against him from an early age, from his background and the people he surround himself with. And now he shares the mats on a daily basis with such inspirational people as Jocko Willink and people like my buddy, Jeremy Black. And you will hear him telling his stories across Instagram. He is uh, one of the most well-spoken and articulate guys I've had on a while. If you look at his Instagram, again, Eric the Gentleman, the things he shares and the way he opens up and shows vulnerability and the way he frames his words for things that I get a lot out of when I think about why I'm not doing better throughout my day or how I'm letting maybe the anxiety or the stress of, of life get the best of me, which we all do. Um, he gives a constant reminder about how you need to push through today. You need to face your fears and you need to just bring your best. And even taking it another level about it's just not about showing up, but the way you're showing up and the intentions you put out and the things that you get out of it. And uh, I thought it was very powerful. And I, I think he's very good at what he does. And, you know, he is recreating the structure and the mold of what an MMA fighter or a tough guy is by literally looking like, you know, a, a straight up shark that sits there and tells every day uh, about his, uh, his journey and his struggles and the things that he has to overcome emotionally and, and all the different things that, that just happen that we all feel as people. So I love the more guys like that talk about that. The more guys will know that it's okay to feel those things. And then it takes work to get through all of it every day, just like all of us do. So I appreciate him coming on. Shout out to my buddy, Jeremy Black, getting me this victory MMA shirt, who trans out there with him, with Dominic Cruz and a lot of those legends out there. And my buddy, Sean Cooper, who uh, shared a podcast with him. If you guys want to look back and check that out, Eric and Sean Cooper, where I believe the River Ends Red podcast, Red River podcast, I'll look it up. It'll put it in the show notes. But uh, incredible story, incredible guy, uh, surrounded by good people. And again, Jiu-jitsu black belt. You can't uh, you can't go wrong. So we don't take talk as much jujitsu for some of the people there, but a lot of the stuff we discuss really will help you for business, for procrastination, for ownership, for emotional intelligence, and all the things we need as real estate investors and entrepreneurs. So I appreciate him sharing that. If you are not doing it already, please follow us at nicknamenick.com slash links for all the ways to follow me on social media, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Facebook groups, any of those different things, YouTube, it's on all of it, and all the ways to subscribe to this podcast, which is literally, I think, on every single platform that's out there right now. It really goes a long way. Please just, on the social media clips we're going to post, give a thumbs up, give an A-OK, -okay, give a fist bump, tag a friend, share it. It takes two seconds to do. You guys are scrolling Instagram anyway. If you just like it and share it, I don't care how many times you do it. Then guests like Eric will sit there and say, okay, this is worth me coming on. People heard my story. People got my message and I made a difference. And that's how we continue to bring you guests for free that bring tons of value and experience to you as a listener. And to me, I always appreciate it as well. So please, I encourage you and I ask you nicely, 
uh, interact on social media, subscribe to the podcast. It only takes a minute. And uh, just, you know, let people know that you're listening. So thank you for that. If you're looking to invest in real estate, that's really what this whole thing is about. Let's do some real estate together. Text me directly, 516-540-5733. When you shoot me a text, just text the word real estate, and then I will know you want to talk about real estate. We can either decide if you want to buy properties from me, if you want to sell properties to me, or if you would like to find a way that we can partner together or joint venture in some way. You don't really know how. You just want to have a conversation about how to get in the game. We can have that conversation too, regardless of your experience, your level, doesn't make a difference. There's a way to make it happen. So nicknicknick.com slash links to find us on social media. Text me directly at 516-540-5733. And last but certainly not least, if you are a real estate agent, broker, or wholesaler, go to nicknicknick.com slash biggerpockets for a free checklist on how to bring more values to your buyers as a real estate agent, wholesaler, or broker. Thank you so much, Eric, for coming on. Thank you so much, Jeremy Black, for the t-shirt. And thank you guys for listening. And King Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. All right, my guest today is a former professional fighter fighting out of California, but by way of Thailand, Vegas, and more importantly, from my own hometown, Long Island, New York. He is now wrestling and MMA coach who has an incredible story of overcoming addiction and adversity to go on to such amazing achievements as a judo and jujitsu black belt and working with some of the most well-known MMA fighters in the world and even being nominated for Coach of the Year in Asia as AT, uh, Puka Top Team. Yeah, top team. Right, Coach of the year at Neji Puka Top Team. This entrepreneur now runs the Simple Effective Violence Course and started the Martial Arts Mastery Program, assisting others in breaking through personal and professional obstacles to achieve, perform, and develop at their highest level as far as athletes and as humans with emotional intelligence and so much more that we're going to go into. He goes by Eric the Gentleman on Instagram and has an extremely articulate, vulnerable, and inspiring page full of content that I could not recommend more. You guys can check it out and see some really cool stuff that he posts on there, as well as some amazing videos with him sharing the mats of such amazing greats as Jocko Willink and Dean Lister, as well as his wife, who is a jiu-jitsu brown belt. But more importantly, he is our guest today on the A-Game podcast. Welcome and thank you for being here, Mr. Eric Urisk. Thank you, man. I'm, uh, I'm excited to, uh, to be here and, and, you know, I love these conversations. So I'm stoked. Me too, man. I think it's, uh, I think it's an important thing because when I look at just the way life has changed before we dig into some of the other things. I feel like you are such a great inspirational person for breaking the mold of just the goon fighter. That's supposed to be the tough guy that doesn't talk about like his emotions and the struggles. And a lot of the things that I think a lot of people feel when they turn to things like martial arts to try and get themselves like back on that path. So I appreciate that you help show another side and really get that stigma out about just the kind of the caveman UFC fighter, if you will. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, you know, martial arts in general or fighting, right? Fighting can be an act of violence, right? Fighting can be a sport. Um, but the martial arts component is, is for me, the path of self-improvement, right? So how do I... Martial arts and combat sports, they, they create a heightened state of stress, right? Uh, particularly the ones you practice live. Uh, and in those, those heightened states of stress, you get to start to see things about yourself, right? Um, fearful reactions come up, right? Uh, adversity, how do I handle adversity? How do I handle when I'm afraid? How do I handle things that I'm weak or inadequate at, right? Do I avoid them? Do I move towards them? Uh, do I shut down? Uh, so these are all really interesting questions that come up. And, and I believe it's the martial arts path to become aware of these things and then seek to move through them, right? Seek to gain strength where I don't have strength. 
uh, seek to gain calm where and peace where I don't have calm and peace, right? So in the midst of chaos, if you can find calm and peace in the midst of chaos on the mat, okay, that's a, that's a really big achievement. Can I do that in the rest of my life, right? Can I do that in the middle of a recession, right? In my business, can I find calm and peace and make decisions based on what I want to create rather than based on uh, a fearful narrative that I'm being handed, right? Just to use a, a real life example that we're all going through right now. Uh, so how do I use what I, what, I, what I learn in the gym, supposed that I'm asking myself these questions, right? How do I bring that into my real life? And, and I believe that's the, the real value of martial arts. I couldn't agree more, man. I, I told everybody <laughs> multiple times that I think one of the biggest things that boxing, jiu-jitsu and MMA have given me is the ability to stay calm in a stressful situation and just find a way out. You know, you're on the bottom, you're getting hit. It, it's very normal to panic, but you learn how to go. I've been in this bad position before. I just have to wait for my opening and find a way to get on top or get into a, at least a neutral or safe position. And I definitely have felt like that has carried over to business in a huge way, which as we'll talk about entrepreneurship, man, it, it can be a, an emotional roller coaster if you get in you're getting your ass beat a lot, taking those hits, getting in bad positions financially, emotionally, and you have to just work your way out into another day. So I love how that translates over. But you specifically have a whole life of, of doing that and really overcoming obstacles and things that have uh, constantly been something that other people have not made it through to get half or even a fraction of the success where you are today. So for the people who aren't 100% familiar with you, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your backstory for sure. who you are, where you came from, and how you got where you are today. Sure. So I'm... Uh... I grew up in Long Island, same as you. Uh, I grew up uh, more on the on the East End. Uh, I grew up in a in a very tumultuous household. It was very chaotic. Uh, there was a lot of alcoholism and abuse all, all over my family. Uh, home was not a safe place for me. I, I didn't feel like it was it was a place for me to be safe. So I I just I, I spent as little time at home as I could. Uh, and I was always into fighting, like fighting. I got some like validation from older kids, you know, and, and I was always looking for a sort of older mentorship. My dad was around, but he wasn't there a parent, you know, he was just never around and, and, and he wasn't really skilled. He couldn't really parent, so he didn't know how to. So I was always looking for that older, older male to take me in. And so, you know, getting into fights in the schoolyard and having these, these older guys, you know, clap and cheer for me and, and take me in, uh, like I was addicted to that right away, that violence. And, and then, uh, you know, I moved a, a little bit away from, from the neighborhood that, that I, I grew up until I was 12. And it's a whole new neighborhood. I have to make a whole new identity. Uh, I start hanging out around the corner and I'm hanging out with street guys. They're a little bit older than me, four, five, six years older than me. And they're street guys, um, criminals, you know, not, 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 not the biggest gangsters in the world, but, but, but criminals. And, you know, they're teaching me from a young age how to, how to sell drugs, how to rob, how to make, just how to get a hustle here, a hustle there, how to, how to get a come up. And I was so insecure that the applause I would get whenever I would do some wild shit, I was addicted to that more than anything. Right. I was addicted to building a reputation, having people become scared of me, you know, so I'm rolling with these older dudes. And so kids my age were shook when I would come around uh, and that felt good. It felt really, really powerful. And I took it to a, 
an extreme that that was I was no one thought I was going to live past 20. Uh, I was I was uh, probably a full blown alcoholic by the time I was 15 uh, and, and a, a drug addict as well. I was you know in and out of homelessness, uh, hospitals, psych wards, uh, long term treatment facilities and, and behavioral modification facilities and all this different type of stuff, man. And I knew I was capable of more. I just, I was in so much pain and, uh, and so much hurt and, you know, being in the streets and, and drugs and alcohol just gave me a quick way out of that. I wasn't really willing to commit to like a long-term path to healing. Cause I didn't even know that existed. I'm 16, 17 years old. I'm running wild in the street. I don't know that there's a path to healing. I just know that, um, I feel better when I'm not sober. I feel better when I'm engaging in crime and acts of violence. Like that, that felt good to me. That felt empowering to me. Man, that, that's an extreme self-awareness. And I think very refreshing honesty as well, which I'm sure you've come a long way to be able to reflect on that. But I never really thought about that. It's very rare that I hear people kind of going back and just admitting that, you know, sometimes doing shitty things does feel good. You know, there is that side of it and just the adrenaline and the respect that goes a long way. And I, I had a few friends that the second you were talking about that, I thought about that and was like, yeah, you know, the the older kids, they come up and my my thing I want to take on to that is sometimes you attach your identity to something and you believe that that's what it is. And then you continue to go down that path because of what you think other people are seeing of you if you separate from that. And people don't want to take the steps to, to attach to somewhere like, like fighters. You know what I mean? Like it's, well, if I'm not fighting anymore, what, what do I do? You know what I mean? Like I am the fighter. And I think when you start to get away from like what you do isn't who you are and you can see that, you know, you're more than that, which I think, again, guys like you that are doing stuff post that career really help. I think it's a big thing of for you being in that young age. I know other guys that I've grown up with that I remember they immediately attached their identity to being like the tough guy that came around and hung around with the older guys. And I think business guys, fighters, like they attach themselves to this identity. And that's why they almost don't want to lose it because they think what they do is who they are. And it's a very humbling and scary thing to think this isn't what I do anymore. So this isn't who I am anymore. So what was the thought process or the catalyst like for you to change that or to realize that you can be anything you want or that you needed to change that identity? Okay. So um, I love that question and it's, it's got, it's got some layers to it and it's really like a theme throughout my life. So firstly, I remember like being 14 years old and before these like older guys really let me hang around them. I would sit around and watch. I would just kind of clock what was going on, you know, and occasionally like I'd, I'd come over there and they'd just kind of like, they wouldn't really pay too much attention to me, but whatever, but I'm watching everything and I'm watching like the big dogs from the neighborhood that would roll up and like whatever, deliver whatever they were delivering. And, and I'm like, just seeing how those guys walked and those guys weren't scared of anything, you know? And I was terrified on the inside, <laughs> I was terrified at home. You know, it's just like, I grew up with the constant, like waiting for a threat, right? The threat of my dad coming home, pissed off and drunk or whatever. So I don't want to be scared. Right. And that's my model for a man is like eighties action movie. <laughs> I didn't have nobody telling me nothing. Right. But I had movies and I saw how men acted in movies. And so in movies, you show no feelings, you, you fuck everybody up and then you get the girl at the end and everybody cheers for you. Right. So I'm like, that's what I'm going to be. And then I see <laughs> these drug dealers, you know, these like low level gangster guys coming in and I'm like, these guys ain't scared of shit and everybody's scared of them. I'm like, that's what I want to be. Right. 
And then you become that and you're like, well, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And then you become that and your life is falling apart. Right. And so I always had a wild imagination. I always knew more was possible. I was always intelligent, right? I didn't do well in school because I, I never went to class, but I was always, I was always intelligent. I was always able to, to grasp concepts. I knew I was capable of more. I got to wrestle a little bit in high school, but again, I got kicked out. I knew I wanted to do that again, right? I knew I was obsessed with that. I could throw myself into that. Um, and so I was, I knew I was going to die soon. And so I got sober when I was uh, 23 and it was really just coming to terms with the fact that drugs and alcohol don't work for me anymore. Every time I do them, I go deeper into what I despise about myself. I'm not getting out of myself anymore. Uh, I don't even respect myself as a criminal anymore. I feel like just a, like a piece of shit now. So the glamour was all gone. And you know, I saw an opportunity to really dive into my, my training uh, because I would have periods of sobriety and then I would go down and train at these Russian wrestling gyms in Brooklyn because uh, I was mostly a Greco-Roman wrestler and so uh, before I got started. And so I would do that and I would train judo when I was sober and then I'd fall off a cliff and fucking just run headfirst back into the streets. And it was just doing this, doing this for a couple of years, right? For probably like three years. When I was 23, I, I decided to get sober. And that really just opened up my eyes to how hurt and wounded I was because when I got sober, my life got worse. All the things that I was trying to cover up, I was now left to deal with. All the self-hatred, all the loneliness, all the, all the different things that I was dealing with were now there. And, and before this, I'm, you know, I'm being given all these medications for mental illness and all that. And I don't believe, I think none of these diagnoses were were accurate or even helpful. Uh, so they had me loaded up on all these meds and, you know, eventually I just got off the meds. I just got, quit them cold Turkey, which I don't recommend anybody do, but that, that's what I did at the time. Uh, and so I'm head first into this fighting world, right? I'm super talented, but I'm weak mentally. I only want to win in the gym. I don't want to lose in the gym. I can't handle losing. My whole identity was built on being the neighborhood tough guy. Right. And so I carry that with me everywhere I go. If I'm not that guy, then who am I, right? If I'm not the baddest motherfucker in the room, then who am I? And so in the gym, I certainly don't want to take those type of risks, right? Because uh, that's going to compromise this, my, my, my ability to see myself in the light that I need to see myself, right? I need to see myself like this. If I'm not good at something or somebody can expose a weakness in me in the gym, I can't deal with that. That's terrifying. That's my only source of self-love. So that's how I go through my whole fight career, right? Super talented, fucking up very, very well-known guys in the gym, but I wouldn't take matchup risks in my career. Like, uh, uh, you know, um, and I lost some, some fights that were just, just mental, just collapses, right? Didn't know how to handle that stress of my identity being like, my identity's on the line every time I step in there. Right. And, um, I moved out to San Diego eventually. I spent time at Extreme Couture. I spent time at some, some local gyms on Long Island. Uh, and then eventually I settled into Alliance MMA for, for most of my fight career. And uh, Dominic Cruz was a training partner of mine. And Dominic used to point out very regularly, hey man, like you're really good, but you don't 
let yourself lose in the gym. Like you're so worried about losing in the gym that you don't work on your weaknesses. You only like to do what you're good at. It's like, you're not going to get to the top like that. And I fucking hated him for it. I hated him because I knew he was right deep down. I knew he was right, but I wasn't ready to look at it. I wasn't ready to look at it. So me and Dom had a real strained relationship. We didn't, you know, we're, we're training partners and teammates and we love each other on that level. But on a, like a one-on-one interpersonal, we would have like a lot of friction between him and I. <laughs> and, um, you know, his delivery maybe wasn't the best at the time, <laughs> but, but, uh, but what he said was true, right? What he was saying was true, right? And so I went through a whole career like that until about 34 I started, I, I was living in Thailand. I'm, 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 uh, I'm fighting and coaching Phuket top team. Right. And I don't know what, what really happened, but I had to take a look in the mirror and, and, and I, and really voice that, Hey man, you're a coward, right? You're a bully and a coward. You like to be the hammer and that's it. You avoid anything that actually really scares you. And you train hard, you can mask it because you'll train really hard and you'll do all the hard things, but you find a way to avoid the stuff that really scares you. You find a way to avoid the situations, the circumstances where you feel vulnerable. And that's what, that's, that's being a coward, but you don't have to stay that way. Right. So I, I was able to really clearly see, I don't have to stay here. Right. So the decision is Moving forward, I'm going to acknowledge the things I'm terrified of, and I'm going to put myself there until I'm no longer terrified. Fortunately, unfortunately, um, I didn't get to, to fight uh, with, as I adopted that new mindset. So, you know, my training started going really, really well as a result and started to really grow as a, as a martial artist. Um, Fights get canceled, as you know, and I've had like seven years worth of fights get canceled, sometimes like two and a half years of fights getting canceled. Uh, one, And that happened twice, actually, two and a half years, twice where fights got canceled. So, um, and, and, but I just, I remember reaching a point where I was, I felt complete in my fight career. I said, you know, my fight career was a failure for how talented I was. Like it was, it was a, a, objectively a failure. Um, not, you know, maybe not what it could have been um, had I acknowledged what Dominic was saying a lot earlier. That being said, I was complete. I didn't need any to prove anything anymore. I didn't feel like I was going to find what I was looking to find in the fight game. So I moved into coaching, right? Then my identity was the coach, right? So I'm really, really talented at, at technical coaching, right? And even getting guys fired up. Still, it's all about me. It's all about me building up my reputation as a coach, right? So it's always looking to build an identity, like with, with every single little thing that I'm doing. Yeah, I'll show up and I'll do an amazing job because I'm talented as a coach, but I'm, the relationship part was missing, right? I really, I won't say I didn't give a fuck about these guys because that's not true, but I, I definitely cared about me more. It was more about how is this going to build my career, right? And um, it's just a, a toxic, poisonous place to be, dude. And so getting out of that, really what that is about is like when a person's in that, they're in survival, right? It, 
if my, all I'm worried about is me, how, how is this going to affect me? That inward focus is survival. If, if me and you are stranded in the jungle, right? And we got, we got no food, no nothing. We're not worried about much more than how are we going to eat and get through the day, right? How are we going to find shelter? How are we going to stay alive, right? We're not worried on growing interpersonal relationships, okay? Now, sometimes that's a, a real circumstance in a case like we're stranded in the jungle, but in everyday life where all our basic needs are met, that's not real, that's psychological, right? So a psychological state of survival, right? Particularly around relationships ends up looking really selfish, really self-centered, right? And those people are not happy, right? I was definitely not happy. Um, people that are always inward focused, they're not happy. And you can, you'll always feel alone even in a room full of people that think that they're your friends, right? Um, so yeah, it was fucking really, really, really hard to come to the place like, as long as all as I care about is myself and my identity and who I'm trying to convince the world that I am, I'm gonna be fucking miserable. If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesale, and fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com, go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure, or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. Man, there's so many good things that we can go off on tangents from from there. You remind me of my 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 buddy Raging Al Ayakinta, who always tells me he likes to dig himself a hole and see if he can find a way out of it. And right. you know, it seems like a lot of those things of trying to trying to find that piece of like putting yourself in those bad situations, like you said, to not always focus on the things that you're good at and comfortable with, which I definitely think uh, as you're saying that, I'm thinking of things right now, which I'm sure people listening are too, that we're guilty of that makes me want to do that. Cause you're right. That's the only way to get better is to really dig that hole and, and focus on the weaknesses. And it doesn't surprise me because, you know, Dominic Cruz is known as like a straight shooter that like tells it how it is and doesn't uh, necessarily care about the bedside shooter. manner of it. <laughs> yeah. Dom is the straightest shooter. That's ever been. Yeah. But it's interesting because the, um, you know, something I didn't realize until within a few years ago, I, I'd love to hear your opinion on it from the different places you've lived, especially coming from an addiction background and ending and living eventually in Vegas. Some of my friends in other parts of the country, when I tell them about some of the things that me and my friends on Long Island used to do, and then they still see the amount of like drinking and for some of them drugs and Coke and like the same stuff that they were doing in high school they're still doing now. She was like, you know, that that's not normal to get like blackout drunk every single day over the weekend. And I was like, well, that was just what everybody I know always did. Like, I never thought it was weird because when I went to college, I went to college with a bunch of my Long Island buddies and we just did right. the same stuff we did there. I don't know if that was just the circle I was in or different from the way some of these other guys grew up. But are you seeing anything different when you go to people around the, the world now and talk about some of the crazy stuff and the way we grew yeah, up on Long Island that it's not normal? <laughs> well, you know, funny, we're coming up on Halloween, right? 
So when I tell people what my teenage years were like on Halloween, it was like the purge in the neighborhood. <laughs> like you would go out and destroy your own neighborhood and everybody's belongings. And, and like, I asked people like, well, we maybe like toilet paper, a fucking tree or throw an egg or two, but we were going out with like pellet guns, uh, flower socks filled with rocks and batteries and shit. Like we were going out to like literally have wars with other crews of kids and then destroy people's property. Um, and we did some things that I'm, I'm not actually very proud of today. Most of the stuff I can laugh at, but some of the things we did were, were kind of fucked up. Um, that doesn't happen. And I asked people like, no, we don't really do that. Like, like we went out to, literally terrorize our own neighborhood and and that felt very normal to me i was shocked when i found out that doesn't happen everywhere um and that that's not common but yeah long island in the 90s well i grew up in the 90s i, I don't know when, when did you grow up uh, late 90s I think, early 2000s. i feel like i'm still growing up but yeah okay. I, uh, so i'm 41 so probably right okay, same as me yeah same as me okay perfect so yeah so same vibe you know what i mean it's tough you get some tough working class white kids, you know, and, uh, and there's some real fucking real hood ass ghettos in Long Island too, man. Like go, go to wine dance, Hempstead, North Bellport, like some rough places, man. Mastic, like there's, there's some, some, some rough places. Um, and I think the wrestling and fistfight culture was very prevalent as well. Uh, particularly amongst Long Island kids, uh, you know, is like, not going to be a whole lot of talking and their fists are going to start flying and, and, you know, they're fine about it and you just move on. It's just kind of part of the culture. I, I, I don't see that in California at all. Like, I feel like it's like, it'd be like really hard to get into a fight. In Southern California. <laughs> yeah, man. So positioning that now, where did the switch turn that you went entrepreneurial, you wanted to own your own business? And I'm especially interested in a guy like you, because I heard you talk about how you would write down your goals and especially your financial goals. You wrote them down and you hit them in your first month of starting your new business. And again, back to my buddy, Raging Al, who I told him I'd start calling him or he told me he wants to start being known as emotionally intelligent ally at Quinta. So as we come back to that. But he was on there telling me like how like the only goals he ever missed were the ones he never wrote down. And I have to get better at that. But talk a little bit about like the pivot into business and, and hitting those goals and tracking those. Goals. <laughs> okay. So uh, I actually just came back to San Diego this time last year. So I was in Thailand for five years uh, coaching Phuket top team. I felt the need to do something different. So I came back to America with no plan. Uh, and my fiance at the time, we settled in Long Island for about five weeks while I figured out what am I going to do next? I don't have anything that I'm in love with right now. I did live in San Diego for four years. I love it there. Let's go take a plane right out there and we'll, we'll see what's what. We moved to San Diego with nothing, right? I have, I got a little bit of cash in the bank. I have no car, no job, no work history because I've been in Asia for the past five years and I've never had a real job other than <laughs> fighting, right? So I have no work history. Uh, so <clears throat> I'm speaking to my coach, Eric Del Fiero, who, who coached me during my fight career. And, you know, he, him and I talk and they bring me in to teach jujitsu at the gym and, and help the fight team. And uh, I was really struggling with coaching the fight team. So something didn't feel right. And I never thought that I could or would do anything else other than coach fighters. I thought this is what I'm meant to be. This is where I'm going to make my mark. This is how I have to make my money. And so I'm doing that for a couple of years and it doesn't 
it doesn't feel right. Right. Um, so I do two years. I spend about, it's not feeling right. I get an offer from Tiger Muay Thai, which is, is probably the biggest gym in Asia. It's where Peter Yan's out of, and a, a lot of real top talent, a lot of top Russian talent comes out of there as well. Uh, and I get the offer for the head coaching job, dream job, right? Pays well, living in Phuket, working with high level talent, right? Beautiful facility, all that stuff. Uh, shout out to Biwat, uh, the owner. And so I'm getting all the paperwork done. I get rid of my apartment, all my belongings, except for what fits in two suitcases, right? And I go to New York to hang out for a few months with my family before I take off to, uh, to Phuket. Uh, before I went, Dom encouraged me to go to, into some emotional intelligence training that he had done. So I go do that like a couple of weeks before I'm going to leave. And I've always been like, I'm, I'm in the mind frame that I'm in now, like, especially since I was in Phuket, I started to get more into this place of being more introspective and coaching from that place. But this really blew things out of the water for me. This, this, this emotional intelligence training really, really set me on a different ground th th than I was before. Uh, and so I moved to New York with my parents. I'm getting the visa stuff done. I'm like, fuck, I got to get the vaccine. I don't want to get the vaccine. I whatever people's opinions are, that's fine. I didn't feel like I needed it. I didn't want it, but I needed to travel. So I go get the vaccine and it puts me in the hospital, right? Uh, fucks up my heart for about a month. So like uh, a couple days before I'm supposed to, my wife and I got married uh, shortly after coming to San Diego, but we didn't get to do it with any friends and family. So my parents wanted to, do a wedding for my wife and I with our family there, sort of, sort of like a ceremony. Uh, so I'm in the hospital about two days before this wedding ceremony with a fucked up heart from the, from the COVID jab. And uh, I get out and I'm, I'm scared. I'm like, what am I going to do now? Like, I, I'm not going to Thailand because I don't want, I don't want to die. I don't want to have something fucked up happen to my heart. And I'm hearing all these stories about soccer players in, in Europe after getting vaccinated. And uh, I'm not like a, conspiracy theorist i'm just some legitimately worried about my health like you know when you're young and healthy and your heart gets fucked up that's scary right oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm like terrified of like my health is really valuable to me so i don't know what to do i know deep down i've, I've had this i want to get into this coaching space right I, life coaching i hate that fucking term but you know this life coaching space or this mindset coaching space and i have so much to offer from my time in, in martial arts and my recovery from addiction and, and all the work that I've done, you know, over the years, I've always been involved in self-improvement work, like, you know, really being in work through one method or another. And so I end up having a, a dinner with a guy in uh, Richmond, Virginia. His name is Mark England. He owns a company called Enlifted Coaches. And uh, they coach coaches on how to coach. And in that dinner, uh, a gentleman we were with mentioned that I was really talented in the coaching space of fighting, but that I wanted to move it into, you know, more online coaching, more personal coaching. And so the guy agrees to, uh, to mentor me. No charge, just takes phone calls with me. And he's like, dude, you already know how to coach. Like, you know how to coach and work with people. You have your method. And he just kind of helped me set up a framework and, and really just give me the belief that it was possible. So it was just about saying that I'm going to do it, right? Um, from that emotional intelligence 
course that I did, I, I engaged in a leadership course, right? Where for 90 days, you put out your biggest goals that you want to achieve. And then you work with a team and we get to work because the, when you set goals and things come up and, and like when you take action, when you don't take action, it's all the, the stories, the emotional stories, the fears that come up, right? All, all our bullshit of, of like what we said we're going to do and what we actually do. Sometimes there's, there's not, they don't line up, right? So why didn't I do what I said I was going to do, right? And not from a place of right or wrong, right? But to really ask myself, you said you were going to do this. This is what you did. Why, why did that happen? What story came up? What excuse did you buy into? Um, or did you give yourself? What out did you give yourself, right? Um, and so it's 90 days of examining all that stuff, like while you're out setting all these goals. And in the midst of that, I said, I'm going to fucking create this coaching business. And so I had a buddy that I, a buddy that I knew since I was in a group home when I was 17, right? He was a little older than me, but he was also in the group home with me. And uh, we hadn't seen each other in decades, but he started training jujitsu. I, I obviously had been training and, and we would see each other in Long Island at this gym. And he really liked my content and liked what, what I was about. And I could see he was looking for some mentorship. And so I said, hey, I'm going to start a coaching business, right? I want you to be my first client. I'm going to over deliver, right? But I want to just get my feet wet. So I'm going to give you a really good price for three months of coaching. And let's so that I know no matter what, you're going to get way more than your money's worth, but I just want to get the practice. So, you know, and I pitched him that at, at a lunch and he was fucking all on board. And of course I, I fucking knocked it out of the park. I moved back home. I decide I'm going back to San Diego and I'm just going to start this coaching business. Right. So I literally have my car and my suitcases and nothing else. I got to find a place to live and set this hole up. So in November of last year, I, officially started my coaching business, like announced to the world that I'm starting this coaching business, right? Put out a couple of Facebook, uh, Instagram posts, Facebook posts, inbox is full, right? Um, and so I start taking on some clients, right? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm probably not charging enough, but I'm charging what felt comfortable at the time, right? And I just want to, you know, I don't even know how to do this yet, like what it looks like. So I, I just start doing it right? I just start doing, I start taking on the clients. I start serving the clients. I start growing, right? I continue to invest in myself. I continue my journey and my, you know, my journey is really what I'm selling my clients, right? In essence, is this is all the work that I've done, right? This is, this is the toolbox that I have to pull from for you, right? And your journey is obviously going to look a little bit different from mine, but when anybody, when people hire you as a coach, what they're, they're paying for is your journey, because your journey is going to be your ability to see things, ask the right questions, right? Uh, be able to pull those answers from them so that they can see it for themselves. Uh, so I continue to invest in my journey all the way through. My personal growth raises my value. And so that's why I'm really big on like, and it's, it's not growing because there's something wrong with me. It's, it's just, I want to continue to grow. I like to increase my freedom, my capacity to experience freedom is that's going to be how much, how much freedom can I show anybody else is going to be the level of freedom that, that I can find myself. Right. So um, I'm just going about it. And I'm like, you know what, this much money a month, one month's not enough. I need to work with people in, in at least three month containers. Right. Because this work that we're doing is really deep. It's, it's like, it's, it's, 
we, we can't, four weeks is not enough time. So I create these, and that's scary, right? Because are people going to willing to commit to three months at a time? But I, I set my intention that this is what's going to happen, right? I made a goal that this first year I'm going to hit, I'm going to hit six figures, right? That was my goal. This brand new business, I'm going to hit six figures. Um, and the first, even the first month, I'm like, all right, I'm going to make this much money. I think I, I wanted to make like 10K in my first month, right? Which was, was actually pretty pretty lofty for where I was at. I, I think I made like 15 um, in the first month, right? And so I'm seeing periods of like, whoa, there's like really good months and there was really bad months. There was months where like I made like $2,000, right? Um, which is, it's not a lot of money in San Diego. And <clears throat> all the while, like, there's some panic in that man. There's like, fuck, there's two, like maybe the, the well dried up. Maybe there's no more clients or customers or, you know, um, it, a lot of times it was me just falling out of line, like not practicing what I preach. And that was a result of the money that I had coming in. Uh, and so it's just continuing to keep going, keep looking for the, for the patterns, keep looking for when am I at my best, right? When am I, when am I working at my best? It's, it's not when I'm coming from a fearful scarcity place, right? I need a client so I can have money. That doesn't work, right? That doesn't work. When I want to serve, right? When I come in, I'm here to give, right? Can't really give from a, uh, from an empty cup, right? So when I'm, when I'm coming from a giving mindset, I'm coming from a full place. I have something that I want to give you, right? And in return, I'll get paid for my work, but my concern is what I'm going to give you. That's the mindset that I'm coming in. That's, that's what I'm embodying is, is this giving spirit. And when I move into that place, right, and that's all part of my daily practice. So I don't leave the house till I'm in that place, right? My meditation and journaling. I, if I wake up and I'm in a shitty mood, does that get to determine the rest of my day? Well, I'm gonna, yeah. I mean, it can, and it often does for, for a lot of people, right? Or do I get to be responsible for my mood, right? Do I get to be responsible? So first, why am I in a bad mood? Maybe I didn't get enough sleep. Maybe I didn't, you know, had an you know, argument with my wife or whatever. Okay, is that, am I going to allow those circumstances to dictate the rest of my day? That's a choice, right? My choice is to sit in meditation and journaling, take responsibility for the mood that I've created. My mood is based on my interpretation of events, not the events themselves, right? Uh, the events happened. I interpret them a certain way and th that, that creates my, the emotion that I have off that. Well, I can examine my interpretations and see if they're empowering or not, right? I can sit in meditation and move myself into a place of gratitude and giving. Then I leave the house and go do my work, right? Because my work is, is, is a giving work. I'm giving my time, my space, my energy to these people. Um, I can't do that from a taking place. If I'm getting online to take from them, they're taking up my time. I can't wait till this call is over. That doesn't work, man. These people are paying me way too much money to, for me to show up like that. So I'm responsible how I show up every day in every encounter. Do I do it perfect? No. The more aware I am, the more present I am, the more I'm able to see that the more I'm able to make the choice of how I show up.
right? So a lot of this work is the ability to choose, okay? And once I started choosing how I was gonna show up, the money started coming back in again, right? I hit that six figure mark in my first year of a coaching business that didn't exist of something that I've never done before, which I'm super fucking proud of because like coming from the fight world, there's a lot of broke ass fighters out there, you know, and they're just doing it for the love. And I've never had a real job before, you know? And so to create something of value. Um, and I feel like when I look back now, my whole life was set up for this. My whole life conspired to have this happen, but look at how all the pieces fit. I would have never guessed, you know, <laughs> that I'd be sitting here talking about, you know, emotional intelligence and mindset and, and how men work through their emotions in order to not let their emotions dominate them and, and what to do with that and how to process that and how to turn that into a more effective life. I never would have thought that that's what I'm doing today. But when I look back, I see how all the pieces fit together and, and it, it, it was like perfectly orchestrated. That's incredible, man. And I think a lot of that, the things you're talking about, about making the choice in the days that you don't feel like showing up and just finding a way to get yourself in the position to go there anyway, I think is why athletes, especially fighters and guys that get their black belts, they don't get that by only going on the days it feels good to show up at the gym. It's just right. not how it is. And I think that that translates very well into business. That's why a lot of the guys that take the mentality that they made to getting a black belt in anything or being a pro fighter, they excel in business because they know that it's just about showing up every day. And I think most people, to your point, which I think is such a relevant topic, they wait for it to feel a certain way or like the resistance that they feel. They'll do everything but that. And a couple of things I saw you post, which we'll talk more about your social media, but the words that you pick and the way that you articulate things on a daily basis, I, th I think are incredible. You definitely have a great gift for writing. So everybody should definitely check that out. But you wrote about how the responsibility you avoid today will be tomorrow's anxiety and anxiety can rob you of enjoying the present moment. And I've been thinking about that every day since I read it, because it is true. And like every day it's like, I'm going to do these things, but I'm going to do them at lunch. And then you doesn't feel right now. I'm going to do these other things and I'm going to do that at dinner. And then tomorrow you wake up and you're like, shit. I still didn't do it. And it just compiles and compiles and compiles. And I think you use the phrase of like, you're going to have to write that check one of these days, but every day you're waiting, the interest gets bigger and it's just going to suck that much more. Pay now and pay later, right? You yeah, buy. yeah. Always cheaper so, right now. What are some of the things that you do? Because I think as, as entrepreneurs in general, we deal with the, you know, my buddy calls it slaying dragons. Like you wake up right. and the best thing to do is eat the frog or slay the dragons first thing in the morning. But some of us, a lot of us don't do that. And I know it's a practice to show up and keep making that the habit every day. So how do you do that? How do you teach people to do that? Because I think it's a huge piece. That's a great question. Um, before I get into that, I just want to make a distinction that I think is really important. Absolutely, it's important to show up, right? More important than just showing up is how I show up, right? So there's the content of my life is the stuff in it, right? My job, my, uh, the gym, going to the gym is the content, right? My wife is part of the content, my car, all that stuff. The context is how I show up, right? So who am I being when I actually show up? If I just show up and I'm just really lethargic and I'm complaining and I'm telling everybody how shitty my day was, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's better than not showing up for sure. You're there, something magic could happen, you know? But when I decide how I'm going to show up and I stack days, weeks, months, years up of and how I showed up is consistent, 
that's going to really, really, really affect the, the, the overall result, right? Whatever I get at the end of that. Okay. So if I show up hundred days out of the year with a shitty attitude, right? Okay. I showed up and definitely probably I, I will have gotten more than I would have gotten without showing up. But if I show up every day with a chosen enthusiasm, with an openness, with curiosity, what do you think the end result's going to look like? It's going to be optimistic and enthusiastic because that's right. what you chose to focus yeah, on. Yeah, right. That, that, it, they're going to look very different. Right? Oh, yeah. Whatever the result is, it's going to look very different. Okay. And so that for me is really important. It's like understanding that how I show up, right, and start stacking days, weeks, months, years together, it's very, very, very gonna, much going to affect the speed and the pace at which I get wherever I'm trying to go. Um, and, and ultimately what I'm left with, what I have as a result of that. Uh, <clears throat> so as far as what I do every day, well, first thing I have to do is build awareness, right? Aware, awareness is the ability to, to, to see things, to make a distinction, right? So, okay, I see to be aware of what my current emotional nature is. Because if I'm not aware of what my emotional nature is, I will make a decision based on a feeling that I'm not aware of, right? Um, the, the human nervous system, uh, we have the vagus nerve, okay? Runs from, from the brain into the gut, okay? It's responsible for a lot of, uh, a lot of our decision-making, a lot of our feelings, sensations, all that stuff, right? It's your central nervous system. Um, 80% of that traffic goes from the gut to the brain, okay? So your bodily feelings are your emotions, right? And then what happens up here are your thoughts. The emotions dictate 80% of the decision-making on a subconscious level, right? We're not aware of everything that we're feeling of all time with thousands, you know, not more ner nerve endings that, 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 that happen through our body, right? So Sometimes we're aware of what we're thinking, if we're even that aware, right? So get aware of what I'm thinking, get aware of what I'm feeling, like understand my, my, my present uh, condition, what's going on here? What are my present thoughts? What are my present feelings? Are these in line with my vision currently? Uh, are these putting me in a position to make decisions that I want to make? Or am I making decisions based on emotions that are based on old stories, right? So a lot of times my emotions are based on, sometimes they're based on early childhood trauma, old things that happened when I was five, something triggered that now and I'm reacting to that. Do I want to make a decision based on a feeling that happened when I was five, right? That's real. That's real, right? It's like when people end up dating the same person over and over again, that doesn't happen by, you know, and you keep making the same decisions over and over again. Well, I'm making those decisions over and over again based on a regular emotional condition that I find myself in, right? If I wake up every day grumpy, lethargic, and self-centered, my decision-making is going to be a reflection of that self-centeredness. What's best for me, right? If I regularly put myself into a place of giving and relationship is a priority, right? Cultivating relationships. I'm going to be, I'm going to have a more outward focus, right? And that's much less narrow. And so now my decision-making is, is able to be broad. I can pick a decision as opposed to feel like I have no choice, right? So getting that awareness of what's going on with me first, right? And then is this how I want to choose to go through the rest of the day? 
Is there something that I need to process? Sometimes it's like, oh no, this is pretty heavy. I need to be with this and process this and like sit with this emotion first before I go out and make any other decision that there's a time for self-care. Sometimes it's, it's not that heavy. I just see that, okay, I have this emotional thing going on that makes me want to engage in some type of avoidant behavior, right? So I feel uncomfortable. Well, I could jump on Xbox if that's something that you do so I don't have to feel this for a little while um, or just sit and scroll on my phone or play Candy Crush or, or go out drinking with the boys. I, right? That decision to get into that avoidant behavior was based on being uncomfortable, right? So the discomfort made the decision, not, not me. Or I can say, okay, I recognize that I'm uncomfortable, but I have this vision of this thing that I want to create. I'm going to take some action that's more alignment with that than avoiding how I feel right now, right? So learning how to be with your feelings, learning how to be with your emotions. It's really a lot of damage control on, on, on like the decisions that you may make coming from that place. Does that make sense? Makes total sense, man. I 100% know what you're saying. I, I think it's a very great point too. Like, and I, I see it now, like th things like I'll sit around and my, um, you know, my dad will just all of a sudden get cranky and I'm like, hey, like what happened? You, you were just fine. And, and, and I start to ask him, like, talk me through like where we were fine an hour ago and now you're in this shit mood. Right. And I watch him kind of not say anything. And then like 20 minutes later, he'll say, I have no idea what happened. I don't know why I just suddenly got in a bad mood, but I think stopping and realizing that instead of just going on the tirade of this is kind of just, right. cause I was like, dude, this is your pattern. This is right. what you like. We have a good day. You get in some shit mood. Like you're doing the thing that you told me you don't want to keep doing it. And like backing that up, I think it's interesting. Cause I just read a great book all about self-sabotage called you are the mountain shout out to Sonia Ray. And it was incredible because like you said about you date the same person, you do the same things, you, you make the same mistakes, you repeat those patterns over in life. And it talked about how your body is li like literally chemically and physically designed to go back to the baseline. So as much as you say, this is what I want to do, I want to change my life, I want to do better, I want to be better, you're literally fighting chemicals that are constantly pulling you back to this is what we know. So the more you change that, you can literally change your baseline of this is now where I fall back to. And it's not. And that's why they were like, you're they'll do everything they can to pull you back from that. And that's why when people go, hey, I'm going to start a new diet. I'm going to go to the gym. But before we do that, we're going to McDonald's. It's like right. literally them like, remember how great this feels. So <laughs> I think those things like you're saying is just identifying like this is my pattern. This is my feeling. And, and one of the things I tell a lot of people I work with is. If your life, if you're not where you are right now, like if you're not happy with where you are, where you physically, financially, emotionally, whatever it is, it's a result of every decision you have made up until this point. Your life oh, is yeah. a recipe. Oh, of your words out of my mouth. <laughs> and, and if you're not willing to change those decisions, you're never going to change the result. You're literally not changing the recipe. You're right. getting the same thing. It is the definition of insanity. But people go, well, I want a different result, but I don't really want to do anything to have to change that. And that, it doesn't work like that. No. And yeah. So like, homeostasis, right, is what, is what you're, you're speaking to, right? It wants to pull you back to what feels familiar, what the baseline is, right? And, and it will always want to do that. And so I have to be able to acknowledge, okay, that's what's happening right now. That doesn't mean this is a bad decision. It's just not familiar, right? And because it's not familiar, it's uncomfortable, right? Recognize if I always do, if I 
continue to do what's comfortable, I will get what I always got, right? If I do what I've always done, I'm going to have what I've always had. If I want something different, I have to do something different. So that's just acknowledging that discomfort that this is just me creating a new habit, right? Whenever you have to raise your prices, that's fucking so scary. Dude, <laughs> right? It's so frightening. And it's like, I think back and it's like, now, like my, like the homie hookup price now <laughs> be the price that I would be like gulping when I was going to ask a client for that. You know, like that would be terrifying to me, but it's like now, like, it's like, man, what I, the money I would get out of bed for now is very, very different. And like, so growing those thresholds is, is, uh, it's wild, but it's, it's really uncomfortable, you know? And like, if you want to scale, you have to do stuff like that. You, you if you're going to scale, man, things have to, you, you have to grow some new patterns. It's fucking scary. You're, you're taking on a different thing. It's uncomfortable. It's scale to make bigger. Right. So like, yeah, that's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to have to work through some emotional stuff. The survival in me that just wants to have enough to feel okay and secure. The part of me that wants to know the answer, you know, like that, that need to know the answer keeps more people from taking action than, than probably anything else. Want to know it's going to work out. Well, we don't know it's going to work out, right? Yep. What, like marketing is fucking mostly testing. Let's see how this lands. And like, we're going to arrange the words like this. And I think this will work because the last one didn't work. Sometimes it lands, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you have no fucking idea. Yeah. No, that's incredible, man. I know we're getting short on time, but one of the other things that you brought up that I think is huge for people, fighters, pe just people across the board, that when you identify it in yourself, it's like when you get a new car that you want, you see it everywhere. It's something I can't unsee in people everywhere now. And it's taking accountability. And yeah. that's like the thing I, I think I, I saw you say something about like shutting, shutting responsibility is like a normal human reaction. But I'm always curious about like, why? Like, and even if it's, if, even if I don't think it's my fault, I'm always oh. going to initially say, how is this my responsibility? Like, right. What's my part in this? I talked to Gary Tonin about this a lot, but I'd love to hear your take on it. And especially how is that rubbed off literally sharing the mats on like a weekly basis with the guy who wrote the book on extreme ownership, Jocko Williams. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. So, okay. So why I believe people have a, a an issue or, or friction with the, or a poor relationship with accountability and personal responsibility is because we attribute those to blame and fault. Okay. Blame and fault don't feel good. Okay. When your parents hold, held you accountable, my parents, why didn't you do what you said you were going to do? Right. So they're making me wrong right away. Okay. I'm wrong on bad. Because and, and now what I'm experiencing is that they're withdrawing their love from me and they're coming to me from this very aggressive place. That, like my worth doesn't feel so good right now, right? Instead of, you know, you said you were going to get this done, right? And it's important that we keep our word to ourselves. So do you want to, can we figure out together why you didn't get done what you said you were going to get done? Do you see the, the difference and just the come from there? Like, 100%. And yeah. how that changes my, my internal response. My parents didn't do that. And my teachers didn't do that. Like everything was about, about wrong and bad, right? So there's a judgment system, right? Uh, right, wrong, good, bad, okay? Good, I'm good. Bad, I got to avoid anything that's wrong or bad. And so if responsibility is always an opportunity to be wrong or bad, do you think people are going to embrace it? 
Definitely not. No, no, I don't want to be wrong or bad. <laughs> I don't want to have that fucking same reaction that I had when my parents, teachers, and everybody near and dear to me made me wrong and bad. I don't want to experience that, right? That's not what responsibility is. Responsibility, right? If you break down the word, it's able to respond, right? If I break that even down even more, is responsibility is the ability to choose my reaction, right? So I stand in the place most days that I'm responsible for everything that goes on in my life, everything, right? So if a plane crashes right here, right? Like, obviously I'm not responsible for that, like factually, right? Responsible, but it's, it's a concept, it's a place to stand, okay? Because when I stand responsible for everything I experience in my life, I always have a choice, okay? So the choice of how I, and the responsibility of how I leave the house each day and what mindset I leave the house each day, right? I have the choice to sit down and do the process that I know will move me into the place that I need to be in, before I move the house. That, that, and that's going to put me in alignment with my vision, my goals, and all the things I want to work towards. Or I could get up in that panic state of all the things that I have to get done, slam a coffee, run out the door, and get going in a complete reactionary place where now I'm unaware and I'm, just, I'm, I'm in a total reaction state to life, right? I'm not aware. I'm reacting too. Okay. And when you're reacting, you're not, that's not choice. You're not going first. You're not making the decision. You're just sort of ducking, bobbing and weaving to all the things that are coming at you. I choose to be in a place where I'm in the decision-making process. I'm more intentional about what I do in each moment. Right. Um, the opposite of that is I'm just a victim to circumstance. Right. So responsibility and victim are the opposite ends of the spectrum, right? A victim by definition has no choice, right? Uh, God forbid a rape victim didn't have a choice to be raped, right? The person did that against their will. They were a victim in that situation because it was against the, they didn't have a choice, right? It was forced upon them. Um, most of the victim stuff that we deal with today is psychological victimhood. It's telling myself, I don't have a choice. This is happening to me. Oh, really? Okay. You can stay there if that feels empowering, right? What ability do you have to choose to make this different? Okay. So sometimes it's a motherfucker. Sometimes I want to be, mm -hmm. sometimes I want to be right. Right. So whenever I need to be right and make somebody else wrong, I'm in victim. Plain and simple. I'm in victim, right? The need to be right lets me know automatically I'm in victim my circumstances, right, are, are making me feel a certain way. Or I could just be in a place of this is what I'm choosing. You're not right or wrong. It's completely neutral. Whatever you want to do is, is fine. This is what my choice is. Right? Choosing based on my values and what I'm aligned to, as opposed to choosing based on what circumstance tells me that I have to, right? Or, you know, look, my parents can never reparent me. <laughs> I'm 41 years old, right? What if they never, and, and they, they, they have, but what if they never tried to atone for the abuse and the inadequacy of their parenting when I was a kid? If, if I told myself I can never move on until they make right what they've done wrong, 
Well, now I'm leaving it up to the circumstance that they make right what they did wrong. That may never happen. So do I want to live my life in this victim place forever, staying angry? I'm right, they're wrong. And I get to live my life like that. Now, if I like the results that that creates, cool, I can rock out with that. If I don't like the results that that creates, I may want to take a look at that. Okay. If my parents do or don't atone for whatever they have done, right, make right what, what was wrong, I'm still responsible for who, who and how I show up today. I'm responsible for that. No one can ever do that for me. Um, and th- that's what responsibility is, right? So yeah, I didn't choose to have the childhood that I had, right? I didn't choose that, but I chose to have the life that I have now. And I think that's what responsibility is. Look, I, if I would have just said I don't have a choice and kept going with the way my child was going, I'd be dead. I'd be dead or locked up for the rest of my life. Like that, that's, that's the, the likelihood of it. I chose different. And, and that choice was based on responsibility. No one else is going to do this for me. Sure, I had support along the way. I had people to help me out along the way. I asked for help. I asked for support. But it was a choice to ask for help ask for support. It was a choice to receive the support, right? So people don't want to receive help. So all of those things are choices. Choice is responsibility. I agree with that hundred percent, man. And the, the circles you're in being around pro fighters and stuff like that, how much does that have a reflection on reminding you every day of, of being around guys like Jocko and Don that are just straight shooters that don't let you get away with taking the easy way out, help you stay on track. I think there's extreme value in creating a community that's consistent with your values, right? That I'm aligned with, right? So yeah, like me and Dom did not like each other. And like, we're, Dom's my brother now, you know what I mean? Like we could call each other and talk about some really fucked up shit, but Dom's never going to let, Dom is always going to hold me accountable. Where are you responsible here? What's the responsible version of that? And I'm going to do the same with him. Right. Because we're not perfect. We will all go into a whiny victim place at some point. Right. (laughs) But as my brother, it's my it's my responsibility to hold you accountable to to your own vision. Right. Um, And that's something I don't think people do enough of. Right. They'll make you wrong for not doing what you said, but they won't hold you accountable and, and hold them accountable from a place of love. Hey, man, you're fucking up right now. Right. Like this is not what you said you wanted. So I'm just checking in with you because I'm here to stand for you. Right. So like surrounding yourself with with people like that and having that language go on between one another. is really important, man. People that are not going to let me stay in my victim story because we all have victim stories like, you know, we all do. Hey, dude, you know, we're fucking black belts. We're, you know, tough guys, all this. We have victim stories. We have them. This is not my fault. They did this to me. Sure, we have. Do I want to stay in that? Right. So having a brother or a sister, my wife will call me out on my bullshit because my wife does the (laughs) same work that I do. My wife won't let me stay in my victim story. I won't let her stay in her victim story. I said, babe, I understand that you feel like that right now. Do you want to stay in this victim story or do you want to move out of it? It's not always what we want to hear from our partner, but I stand to hold people accountable to their highest self, not their smallest self. I'll love them in their smallest self, but I'm going to hold them accountable to be their biggest self because it's a choice. 
That's freaking awesome, dude. I love that stuff. And talking and parlaying into that, talk a little bit about Simple Effective Violence, Martial Arts Mastery Program, all sure. the ways to find you, all the things you got going on. How do you help people with these things? How do people find yeah. out how to physically and emotionally battle <laughs> demons and be the best versions of themselves? Sure. So uh, I've, you know, Simple Effective Violence Ground and Pound is my uh, is my Ground and Pound course that uh, that I put out what's it, last year, uh, maybe two years ago. Um, it is a system of Ground and Pound that uh, I believe is, is is second to none. I believe that. Um, it's a, it's a way of approaching ground and pound that, that hasn't really been thought about or systemized. Um, and yeah, you can find that there's a link on my Instagram that you can just click on if that, that interests you. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of that work. Uh, if you want to find the emotional intelligence, so, uh, martial arts mindset mastery is what I coach. Okay. Um, it is, it pulls from, from a lot of different things, emotional intelligence, mindfulness, um, all my work, uh, you know, cornering the, the best and coaching the best guys in the world, everything that I've pulled throughout my life of recovery and addiction and all that, we, we pull all of that in. And, you know, basically like the conversations that we had today, helping people see where they, they're not being responsible, where they could make a choice if they let themselves, right? Where they're playing small, where they're letting their fears dominate them. Okay. Then how do we work through those fears? How do we process through those fears so that they're not making the decisions for us so that you're making the decisions that you want to make? If I laid out a box of possible decisions that you could make, which one would you pick? Right? Not the one that you feel like you have to pick. Okay. And then what's the diff what's the space between the one you feel like you have to pick and the one you'd like to pick what's in between that? That's the work that we do. Whatever's in between that, we do the work to get you from the one you feel like you have to pick to the one you want to choose, right? That, that's, that's this work in a nutshell. All, all the different ways that we trick ourselves into thinking that we only have one choice or that we don't have a choice, right? Because if you, one choice is not a choice, right? So it's, it's the def, we're stuck. We're a victim to circumstance at that point. Um, Eric the Gentleman on Instagram is where you can find most of the things that I have going on. Uh, right now, I mostly work one-on-one -on -one with clients. Um, so anybody interested, they can just drop me a DM. I do check my DMs and interact with uh, my followers and any questions that they may have in general regularly. Uh, and I'm creating some group containers coming up soon. So I'm in the works of putting that together. I've got a, a workshop that will be announced very shortly. It'll be about a 90-minute workshop, very much based on some of the stuff that we talked about today that's particularly geared towards uh, practitioners of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So how to take your martial arts training and turn it into a path of complete personal development. That's awesome, man. And did I hear something about, uh, there might be a book on the forefront? Yeah. I'm, I'm in the midst of, of writing a book. I've got like 40,000 words written. Uh, nice. and yeah, it'll be a lot of crazy stories from growing up on Long Island and the sort of the what was going on emotionally inside, like really breaking down what was actually happening for me as I understand it now as a 41 year old man. Um, and yeah, and just the path that I took and the processes that I, that I had to go through to, to get to where I'm at now. I think that's incredible, man. I think, I think you're, you're checking a huge box that a lot of people need, even if they don't know they need it. I, I find more and more that it's one of those things where, especially in the martial arts community, Matt Sarah always says everybody that comes to his doors 
we're all banged up in some way. We're the land of misfit toys, the land of broken toys that we found a place that we fit in and we're all working through some stuff. And I'm finding the same thing across the board that we're all just people. So the more that people can be open to being the best version of themselves and working through those things, I think only good things can come of them. So I appreciate you coming on, man. I hear nothing but great things about you. Uh, I found you through mutual uh, friends, Sean Cooper of Taking Back Sunday, Sarah Blackbelt, one of my best friends, um, shared a podcast with you. And then shout out to my buddy, Jeremy Black, who got yeah, me this victory go. MMA shirt. Uh, shout out to him. I know you guys do some training together too. Yeah. So I appreciate him saying great stuff about you. You, sir, bring your A-game to everything you do in life. This interview has been no different at all. Thank you for bringing your A-game to this podcast today. Any final thoughts before we let you go? I think, yeah, if you're living a life where you feel like it's happening to you, that it's a life that you, you wouldn't have chosen for yourself. Um, I'd invite you to entertain the thought that you do have a choice, that the life that you have is actually a result of, as you said, all the choices that you have made. And if you'd like to choose something different, think about what that would be. Like fearlessly think about what you would choose to have differently. And then get honest about why you don't make those choices and, you know, seek out help, invest in yourself. Like, um, take those steps to move forward, to, to see what you've never seen so you can choose what you've never chosen. Um, yeah, you, if your life is not, if you're not psyched about your life, it doesn't have to be that way. You can be psyched about your life. I, I spent years hiding under the covers, afraid to get out of bed with depression and anxiety. And like, that's so far from my reality now. I, sometimes it's really hard for me to believe like that this is life. Well, I'm very, I'm very proud and inspired by everything you've done and everything you've become and what you're helping create others do as well, man. So I very much appreciate you coming on and sharing your story today. Anybody who's looking to stay in contact with you, check out your Instagram, check out your courses. There'll be live links in the show notes for all the ways to stay in touch with you. Tell everybody that I know out there at uh, your side, Jeremy Black and those guys that said hello. Thank you for coming on today at Eric the Gentleman on Instagram. Eric Houston, thank you for your day, man. Thank you, brother.